Blog Talk Radio. Well, welcome to this special edition of A Thousand Moms Talk. I'm Dave Balog. I'm the Information Officer for A Thousand Moms, building community support for LGBTQ youth in foster and adoptive care. And this week, we are having a special show. Um, Dr. Ray and I will return for a regular format next week. But in this special episode, I want to share experiences from my new book. It's called Healing the Brain, Food Food and Family. Well, in this book, I share my experiences growing up in New York in a big extended family in the 1960s and 70s. I take a look at the lives of my immediate family and the way we lived particularly our food choices and how those may have affected individual health. I provide insights from my professional experience about the brain and health. In the book, we cover the new understanding of diet and nutrition that may extend lives previously diminished and shortened by brain diseases and disorders, from Alzheimer's disease to stroke, obesity, and diabetes complications. Initial reviews for the book have been pretty good, and I just want to share one with you. And by the way, you can get a copy of this book on Amazon, amazon amazon.com. Look for Healing the Brain, Food and Family, or my name, David Balog, B-A-L-O-G. And here's a pre-publication review. David Balog has combined wit, pathos, and useful information in this fine book about food. He humanizes this topic so that it is not only useful, but also entertaining. David understands and demonstrates how important empathy and human connection are to learning. And that is from Jerry Hirth, RNMA in Human Development. Well, I'm going to read a selection from the book which you can also purchase at um, Amazon.com, as I said, and also our website, www.healingthebrainbooks.com. Healingthebrainbooks.com. Well, in my second chapter of the book, I talk about my Aunt Barbara, and this is from Chapter 2, Aunt Barbara, A Sunny Life, Set Too Soon. Well, as I was growing up, Friday nights and Saturday mornings meant there was a party going on in my Aunt Barbara's kitchen. She lived on the third floor of our unique extended family home. The steady list of attendees at the parties included my aunt, our dog, and me. For many reasons, these gatherings felt so wonderful that I once marked a spot on a wall with a small chocolate chip from one of her terrific cookies, a message, I guessed, to future generations that a kid could be so fortunate. My Aunt Barbara's kitchen was filled with wonderful food aromas, appreciated especially by Tick, our basset hound, and his acutely sharp sense of smell. No dog in Yonkers, or maybe anywhere, ate better than this one. I, too, ate pretty well from her menu of soups, steaks, sandwiches, salads, desserts, 
particularly crepes Suzette's Boston cream pie and her unmatched chocolate chip cookies. I, Mumbo, Barbara would beckon both me and the dog who would barrel down the hall to jump into her welcoming arms. I worried that one time he might knock her over from the force of his happiness and anticipation of a very tasty meal. Spoiler, he got steak, mostly leftovers, but sometimes made just for him with his dog chow and sauce Arturo. Well, these gatherings were special, fun, and indelible. Tick learned to sit patiently and seemed to enjoy watching Barbara cook. Maybe he wanted to learn. She'd give me treats to toss down the hall, and he would eagerly chase and munch on them until his dinner was ready. Then my meal was ready, and it was always wonderful, and Barbara joined in. She would gently admonish me that I didn't have to eat at all. Are you kidding, I thought to myself. Barbara would ask me about my day in school, tell me about her day at work managing a supermarket, which was a perfect match. We'd play with the dog, have hot chocolate or iced tea, and enjoy dessert. Then Barbara would start preparing for Saturday's cooking, making pasta from scratch, cutting vegetables for her soup, making bread. Hours later, the party ended, and Barbara would invariably say, stop by any time, the door's open, and she meant it. For a young kid and his dog, it was a case of let the good times roll, and they did, on and on. Barbara always dressed well, smelled nice, and smiled, always that smile. Our family was so comfortable with her that without thinking, we dropped the aunt and just called her Barbara, or later Barb. So strikingly pretty was she in her wedding photo that I thought I was looking at a bride's magazine I'd seen at a store. As a devoted Catholic, Barbara never divorced from her first husband who had left her, and she never remarried. She loved baseball, and on hot summer evenings, you could find her lying on her couch with a cloth that had been dipped in ice water around her neck of mini Rheingold beers and a radio with Phil Rizzuto broadcasting the Yankees game. It was a picture of great contentment. Barbara built a rich life around her brothers, her nephews and nieces, and her longtime friends from Hungary. Well, I've learned that one thing in life you want the least, and what many people fear as they age, is Alzheimer's disease. You lose everything, your memories, every dignity, and everyone who mattered to you. For us, her family, Barbara's rapidly diminishing cooking ability was a major sign of trouble. Barb's dishes after the onset of her Alzheimer's mirrored her confused brain. Gone were the elaborate soups and the Hungarian goulash, the steaks and the stuffed cabbage. Instead, she served undercooked or overcooked dishes and small portions that she would never have presented before as a matter of pride. Alzheimer's had even stunted her emotions. Barbara lost concept of sleep and slept odd hours, if at all. I tried to help by staying with her in her apartment, but her middle-of-the-night noisy roving 
ruined enough sleep that I moved back downstairs. On May 1, 1980, Barbara died from a stroke in her sleep, four days shy of her 80th birthday. Possibly it was the the best way to die, quickly, but it had been preceded by a distressing 10-year struggle. Alzheimer's. The Alzheimer's Connection. Food, free radicals, and plaques. If we could look into the brains of people with Alzheimer's, we would see something strange between brain cells. Little, dark, misshapen structures appear between cells and shouldn't be there. Imagine that you're talking with your doctor. You ask, what can I do to get rid of these? Doctors have in the past said or thought, not much. We are at the mercy of old age and genetics. There's a specific gene, and if you have inherited this gene from one parent, your risk is tripled that you'll get Alzheimer's. And if you get the gene from both parents, your risk of developing Alzheimer's is 10 to 15 times higher than without it. Researchers started taking a closer look. The Chicago Aging Project, closely at what Chicagoans were eating, researchers started to see over time who stayed mentally sharp and who developed dementia. They started by looking at saturated fat. In my Aunt Barbara's case, she would cook breakfast and the smell would permeate the house, the smell of bacon cooking. Barbara would take a fork and stick it into the frying pan, pulling all the hot bacon strips out and putting them on paper towels to cool. When the bacon was out of the pan, she would carefully pour the grease into a mason jar to save it. That's good bacon grease, and she wanted to save it. My aunt would put the jar not in her refrigerator, but rather on a shelf. Barbara and many American cooks knew that as the bacon grease cools, it solidifies. The fact that it is at room temperature is a sign that bacon grease is loaded with saturated fats, bad fats, most of which come from animal sources such as beef, poultry, whole whole fat milk, cheese, and butter. However, several come from plant sources like coconut, palm and palm kernel oils, etc. It's been known for a long time that Bad fat raises cholesterol, and there's lots of it in bacon grease. Also, the next day, Barbara would spoon the congealed fat back into the pan and fry eggs in it. That's the way my aunt and millions of Americans cooked. The main source of saturated fats is not bacon. It's dairy products, such as cheese and milk. Red meat is the second highest source of saturated fats in moderation. In the Chicago study, Some people ate very little saturated fat, around 13 grams per day. Others ate twice as much. Then the researchers looked at who developed Alzheimer's disease. For those who avoided the bad fat, their risk of developing Alzheimer's was low. But if you were a heavy meat eater, a cheese lover, and bacon devotee, your risk was two to three times higher. Then the researchers looked at trans fats, the fats you find in donuts and pastries, and you can read about them on the labels. They found the very same pattern there. People who avoided saturated fats, bad fats, wanted to avoid them because they were concerned about cholesterol and heart disease. But these fats also seem to affect the brain. 
there's a condition called mild cognitive impairment. People are still basically themselves. You maintain friends, drive, you pay your bills, you start to have, but you start to have mental lapses, particularly for names and words. Other researchers in Finland examined over 1,000 adults age 50 and looked at their diets and who developed mild cognitive impairment. Some of those in the study ate small amounts of fat and some ate a fair amount, and they looked at those whose memory started to fail. Exactly the same pattern emerged in the Alzheimer's study in Chicago. Going further, researchers wanted to know about diet and the Alzheimer's gene, the one that condemned people to Alzheimer's. Focusing on just people with this gene, the researchers found people who ate relatively little fat and people who ate more fat. This picture was exactly the same. If you were avoiding the bad fats, even if you have the Alzheimer's gene, your risk of developing memory problems was 80% less. Also, there is the issue of metals in the brain. Looking more closely at the amyloid plaques in between brain cells, there's beta amyloid protein, but also iron and copper. Metals in the brain? Yes, there are metals in the foods and they reach the brain, passing through the blood-brain barrier. Iron and copper oxidize in your blood just as a shiny new penny oxidizes over time. As they do that, iron and copper cause the production of free radicals. These free radicals are molecules that swim around your bloodstream and then they get into your brain and they act like sparks that disrupt the connections between one cell and the next. Well, what we need is a fire extinguisher and we have one, vitamin E. Vitamin E in spinach and mangoes and especially in nuts and seeds, is an antioxidant. It knocks out free radicals, possibly cutting the risk of Alzheimer's. Blueberries and grapes have dramatic color, but not just to make them look pretty, to, to, but to boost your vitamin E intake by rushing to the store for a bottle of vitamin E pills is not a solution. Nature has eight forms of vitamin E, they're built into nuts and seeds, but a vitamin E supplement pill can legally be called vitamin E, even if it has only one form. And if you eat one form of vitamin E, it reduces your absorption of all the others. So you want to get it from foods as nature designed and our ancestors evolved with. How much should we have? Grab a handful of nuts and gulp them down? No, use them as flavoring in oatmeal, pancakes, or yogurt. The answer is color. If you walk into a grocery store and look at the produce, your eyes can determine, can detect the orange color of the carrot or the red color of a tomato or the purple color of, of a grape. You naturally recognize these nutrient-rich foods. If you remember the food pyramid, it had a meat group and a dairy group despite the fact that people who don't eat meat or dairy happen to be healthier than people who eat them. The new model is a plate instead of a pyramid. Adopted by the federal government, says that fruits, grains, and legumes, the bean group, and vegetables should be the staples. The MyPlate program 
emphasizes getting away from saturated fats in cheese, bacon, and meats, getting away from trans fats in snack foods, and eating more vitamin E in colorful foods. If I could could go back in time, I would want to sit with my Aunt Barbara and say, we can do something really important. We can adjust what we eat. We don't need all the bacon, all the cheese, all the rich desserts. There are plenty of healthy things we can eat, colorful vegetables and fruits. And let's go for a walk before we eat. If we can take advantage about what we have learned about how to protect the brain, we can have more meals, more fun for more years together. And that would be a very good thing. So thank you for listening to this excerpt from my book, Healing the Brain, Food and Family, on the special edition of A Thousand Moms Talk. Please support A Thousand Moms. You can purchase the book on our website, www.healingthebrainbooks.com, or you can go to amazon.com, healingthebrainbooks.com or amazon.com. And there, look at the, the other books we have in the Healing the Brain series. Well, thank you for listening. I'm Dave Baylock, and we'll see you next time.